scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17. 1 Samuel, chapter 17, we'll start in verse 33. That's found on page 260 in the Pew Bible. And I'll be reading from the New King James Version next time. 1 Samuel 17, verse 33. And Saul said today, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are you, and he is a man of war from you. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took the lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it in its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defiled the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from all the lion and from all the bear, he would deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. children's song before all of these convicted criminals there, it might be a little nerve-wracking. But the best part of that story began when they reached the chorus of that song, Yes, Jesus Loves Me. Because then there were a few men in the crowd that started to sing along. And actually, before they were finished, there were several that were singing along with the song, Yes, Jesus Loves Me. And at that moment, it became clear that the song, Jesus Loves Me, was not intended just to be a children's song. The message, Jesus Loves Me, is for adults as well. This morning, we're going to look at a story that we sometimes think of as a, as a children's story. I don't know, you may have heard it for the first time growing up in a Sunday morning Bible class. Uh, coloring in a coloring sheet, or maybe seeing it played out on a flannel graph, the story of David and Goliath. It may be that you're only familiar with the story because of its references that we see all throughout our culture. Uh, Political races and sporting events, we hear the, the David versus Goliath reference made quite a bit for several different things. And as we think about the story of David versus Goliath and a young shepherd boy going up against a large Philistine giant, It's not just a story for children. It's a story for adults. And I want us to think about that this morning. I especially want us to think about the fact that we all face giants in our lives. Probably none of us will have to go up against a nine-foot Philistine in 
armor made of gold and a spear of iron and someone who's so intimidating as him. But we all have spiritual giants that we face in our life. In fact, Nick put it very well in his prayers. He talked about the sins that we struggle with, different temptations that pull at us. And for every one of us, it may be different. We all come to this room this morning with battles in our lives, spiritual giants that we face. Sins that we seem to fall into again and again and and we pray for forgiveness and genuinely try to turn our lives around, but it seems like the next day we're back involved in what we're trying to put, put away. And so we all have these battles, these struggles, these giants that we face. This morning, I'd like for us to think about what our spiritual giants are. And I want us to get specific. Think in your mind. You don't have to to write it down or say it out loud, but just put it in your mind. What is a battle right now that you are facing in your life? Let's all do that. Let's just take a second and let's all visualize one of the spiritual giants that's challenging us. Because as we look at the story of David and Goliath, I'd like for us to look at his battle plan as he went up against this Philistine giant. And let's try and use that same battle plan as we go up against our spiritual giants. And so we need to be just as specific as possible. Just get that in your mind. And as, as we're thinking about giants and spiritual battles that we fight, I'd like for us to begin this moment of study by going to God in prayer. Let's pray that He can help us defeat these giants. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You so much for this day You've given us. We thank You for the opportunity to study Your Word. Father, as we look at the story of David and Goliath, we pray that You'd help us defeat our own spiritual giants. We pray that You'd help us... Uh, allow you to use us in defeating these challenges. Father, we know the power is not with us, but the battle belongs to you. We pray that you'd be with us and and help us to learn something this morning as we study your servant David. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite you, if you haven't already, to open your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17, we'll be spending most of our time in this chapter. As you're doing that, let me remind you how excited we are to have you here with us, especially for visiting with us. If there's anything we can do to help or be service to you, please let us know. Let us get to know you. Uh, We want to encourage you the way that you've encouraged us. As we think about David and Goliath, let's begin reading about this story in the very first few verses of 1 Samuel 17. And as, as we go in and as we set the scene for this battle, it's important that we remember something that took place just a chapter earlier. And so as we set the stage for that, it's important to remember what happened when Samuel first met David. Now, to kind of give us some background, God had set up judges to rule over Israel. The Israelites had a habit of wandering away from God, and God would raise up a judge to come to bring them back to a right relationship with God and to lead the people. Samuel is the last of the judges, and Samuel's sons don't seem to be following in his footsteps. They're not living up to his ideal. And so the people of Israel say they don't want one of Samuel's sons to be a judge. In fact, they want a king. They want to have a king just like all the other nations around them. And so they appoint a king, King Saul. He's the first king of Israel. Head and shoulders above other Israelites, he seems to look the part. And he does very well for a short time. But then Saul begins to listen to the voice of the people rather than the voice of God. And it becomes apparent that the Israelites need a new king. And they need a king that's not going to come from the family of Saul. And so God sends Samuel, that last judge, to the house of Jesse. Jesse has several sons. And it's from that house that God is going to pick a king for the Israelites. And so Samuel goes up before Jesse's oldest son, Eliab. And remember that name because we're going to get to him a little bit later. 
And he thinks, surely the Lord's anointed is standing before me. When he sees Eliab's stature, his physical appearance, he really looks the part of a king. But God's response to Samuel is interesting. In 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And as we look at the story of David and Goliath, you can almost hear that phrase echoing throughout the text. God is looking at the heart, not at the outward appearance. Because anyone judging from the outward appearance and looking at a nine-foot giant on one side and a young shepherd boy who at that point in his life wasn't a battle-tested warrior yet, he wasn't a hero yet, we would easily say that the advantage is with the giant. But God's not looking the way man's looking. And as we discover how to battle our, our spiritual giants, we have to keep that in mind as well. We're not looking at the physical outward appearance. We're looking at the heart, and we're looking at what God can do through the heart of His servant. And so let's begin with the first few verses in 1 Samuel 17. Beginning in verse 1, Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle, and were gathered at Sokoh, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Sokoh and Azekah in Ephesdemim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. And listen to verse 3. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And so we get the picture of the Israelites and the Philistines drawing up for battle. You have the Philistines and a mountain on one side, the Israelites and a mountain on the other, and there's a valley in between them. And let's keep that picture in mind because that will come into play later on in this chapter. And so then in verse 4, a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And if we think of a cubit as being about 18 inches approximately, uh, we can see that he would have probably been over nine feet tall. And so he comes out a champion and he begins to call out to them in verse 8. He cried out to the armies of Israel and he said to them, "Why Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. So we're introduced to Goliath. The giant appears. He has this armor that's made of of bronze, uh, thousands of shekels of bronze silver or bronze armor that's that's here. His his spear has a head that's, that's made of 6,000 shekels of iron. I mean, you have a very imposing figure. Someone who's very intimidating. He's a true Philistine champion. And sometimes when we think of David and Goliath, we sort of think of Goliath almost as a, as a, a larger-than-life character that's not very real. But this would have been very intimidating. And we can tell that because of what takes place in verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They responded in fear. So before we're too harsh with how they responded, we need to think of how imposing a figure Goliath would have been. So later on, David enters the scene. His older brothers were down at the battle. His father sent him with some food to deliver to them. And when David comes on the scene, we see he's coming 40 days later. Because for 40 days, night and day, Goliath is coming out and he's yelling these same words at the Israelites, these same challenges he's putting before them. And here's what happens when David arrives on the scene. In verse 23, he's talking with his brothers. And it says, Then as he talked with them, there was a champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke these same words, and David heard them. And then as he goes through, David responds in verse 26 by saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine? 
and takes away the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Here in this verse, we see that the first step in David's action plan is going to be that he is going to look at the situation, and you can almost see it hinted in verse 26. He is going to take action. That's what David is going to do. The first step in his battle plan is he's going to take action. And as we think about the the spiritual giants in our lives, we have to decide to take action. And that's an important decision to make. Even though it sounds very plain, it sounds like a no-brainer, but we have to decide that we're going to do something. It's so easy to do nothing, isn't it? When we think about spiritual giants in our lives, about temptations that we face, it's so easy to say that, well, I'm so busy. If you knew the kids' ball game schedules, I mean, we're taking them everywhere. If you knew my work schedule, we're taking it everywhere. I know exactly how it feels to get so busy and you just feel like, I'll put off dealing with this spiritual matter another day. I know I really need to get consistent about my quiet time and study with God, but I just don't have time to do that today. And we do nothing. And no matter what the temptation is, we can fill in the blank for each one of us. It will be different. But it's so easy to put it off and to ignore it. I want us to notice what happened when the Israelites ignored the, the Philistine that was coming out and shouting uh, these words to them. Notice what happens in verse 3. Remember, they're lined up, one on one mountain, one on the other mountain, a valley in between them. And it says that a champion went out from the camp. So Goliath goes out. But by the time David arrives on the scene, remember, there's 40 days in between these two times. Morning and night, that's 80 opportunities for someone to respond to what Goliath is saying. And when he talked with them in verse 23, we see that Goliath is coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And then when the men of Israel are very excited and they're afraid, they keep talking about, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. Now, we want to be fair to the text and fair to what it's saying here, but I believe that it's safe to say that within those 40 days... I don't know how close Goliath would have come, but I believe they were a little bit closer. Just judging by this phrase and the fact that any problem left untreated for 40 days and 40 nights is bound to get worse. You can imagine two armies lining up, and you can imagine maybe with each time Goliath was getting just a little bit closer. They weren't dealing with the challenge. Nothing had been done. And we discovered that deciding not to act is never a good battle plan. And that's true with us spiritually. Deciding not to act on our spiritual challenges is never a good decision. Often it's motivated for the same reason that the Israelites were motivated, by fear. We're afraid of what would happen, afraid that we'd fail, afraid that we'd have to live a different life. Have you ever played hide-and-seek with a young child who was convinced that he or she could hide from you by just covering his eyes? Have you ever seen that? They'll, They'll cover their eyes and they'll expect that you can't see them. After all, they can't see you. When we think about ignoring our spiritual giants or or doing nothing, that plan of indecision or inaction, it's the same principle, really. Thinking, well, if I just ignore it, maybe it'll go away. But as is the case with most problems in life, it doesn't go away. In fact, it often gets worse. And you can imagine with Goliath hurling insults at not only the Israelites, but the armies of God and insulting their God in the process. You can imagine how those words would have continued to pound away at the the Israelites' confidence. They would pound away at morale. I'm convinced that if you were to ask any of the Israelites if they believed in God, they would say, absolutely. Do you believe that you serve the living God? Absolutely. But no one was acting like it. David had to take action. And so I want us to think about this spiritual giant that you've thought of in your mind, that that you've detailed, that you've specified, and let's think of a way we can take action. Let's decide right now 
to take action with the spiritual giant in our life. Let's decide to do something. And then we see not only did David decide to take action, but he maintained his focus. Because in verse 28, his brother Eliab, who you remember from Samuel when he went to anoint David as king, comes up to him and listen to what he says in verse 28. We can sense some jealousy. He says in verse 28 as he speaks with David uh, that uh, his anger was arousing as David. He said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Now, anyone who has a brother or a sister knows that you have just almost an inborn understanding of how to push your siblings' buttons. You know what to say to make them upset. You can imagine an older brother speaking to David knew exactly what to do to make David upset. And you can hear the critical spirit, can't you? I mean, look at these phrases, those few sheep in the wilderness that are David's responsibility. Oh, I know the pride, the insolence of your heart. You've just come down to see the battle. He's doubting David's skill. He's doubting David's motivation. He's doubting his character. He's being very critical in front of seemingly a large group of people as David goes down there to talk with his brothers on the front lines. And so he's there and he's casting these criticisms to his little brother. And it would have been so easy for David to lose his focus, wouldn't it? It would have been so easy to just roll up his sleeves and to tell Eliab what he said was unfair because it was unfair, wasn't it? It was overly critical. He didn't know David's motives. He wouldn't be able to say that. He shouldn't have insulted what David was doing. And David could have lost focus and started focusing on Eliab. But what's really interesting is David's response in verse 29. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? David had almost a laser-like focus on the true problem. The problem was Goliath. That was the problem facing the Israelites. He could have gotten sidetracked into a sibling dispute, but the real problem was Goliath. If we're going to tackle the problems in our lives, if we're going to fight those spiritual battles, we're going to have to maintain our focus. It's easy to lose focus. Just like in any good family, every church family is going to have some disagreements. It would be easy to lose sight of our spiritual mission and start focusing on a disagreement with a brother or sister. It's a lot easier for me to avoid looking at my own sin and to say, well, at least it's not as bad as this person. Did you hear what he said about her? Did you hear what she was saying about so-and-so? I heard that she was doing this. And we start getting concerned with other people and we lose focus on our mission. We lose focus on the true enemy. If we're going to be able to take action, we've got to maintain our focus. We've got to focus on who the true enemy really is. Satan has won a great victory when we think that the enemy is another individual, another brother or sister in Christ. Satan's won a tremendous victory. If he can get us focused anywhere else other than his work, what he's doing, the enemy of the church is Satan, and we have the power to defeat him. It doesn't come from us. It comes from God. But only if we maintain focus will we be able to engage in that spiritual battle. We have to know the true enemy. We have to focus on our true mission. As we are in a an exciting community as we are in a place where people are moving in and, and we are having new people place their fellowship here with this church, it would be tempting for us to lose sight of our mission. But if we can maintain our focus with laser-like intensity like David did, God can use us the same way he used David. We have to remember that we focus on our true source of power. Power didn't come from David, and he would say that often. The power came from God. So we have to take action. We have to maintain our focus. And so this morning, as you think about that spiritual giant in your mind, I'd like to encourage you to maintain your focus. Decide today that we will have laser-like intensity on, on eliminating this problem from our lives, on tackling this problem with God's help, because the only way we can defeat it is with the power of God.
So we want to take action. We have to maintain our focus. And another thing that David shows us is that he was willing to use his resources. You see, he goes to Saul, and those verses that Kevin read for us show us how he tells Saul he's going to fight Goliath. And notice what Saul tries to do in in helping David prepare for battle in verse 38. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch which he had, and a sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. This is an interesting picture, I think, that the Bible gives us. As Saul is trying to arm David, remember, this is a point in David's life where he's not a war hero yet. Later on, he would become a mighty warrior, but he was a shepherd. And so he was not used to wearing this armor and the armor Saul put on him and the sword he tried to wear. It says twice that he had not tested them. David was going to go into battle with tools that he had tested, resources that he'd been given. Sometimes when we think of David versus Goliath, we're tempted to think of uh, uh, David with a slingshot, sort of like a Dennis the Menace slingshot, and he sort of puts a little pebble in it and shoots it at Goliath. But it's really interesting, when we think about a sling, it may have looked more similar to this one, and it would have been a very serious weapon. There's an interesting verse in Judges, as they talk about this civil war that's taking place within the tribes, that there are a group of 700 men in Judges chapter 20 and verse 16, and their, their talent was that they were left-handed and that they were able to sling a stone at a hair's breadth and not miss. So this was a weapon, and this was a weapon that some had practiced with great accuracy. It was a weapon David seems to be familiar with, and rather than try to put on Saul's armor and use someone else's weapons and someone else's, someone else's uh, battle signs and, and the things that they'd taken into battle, David is going to use his own. He's going to use what he's tested. When we think about our resources, God has blessed us all with several gifts and abilities. In fact, it shouldn't surprise us that God wants to use us to accomplish his mission in this earth because God has always used human beings to accomplish his will. When God wanted to deliver the Israelites, he sent Moses. When God wanted to spread his gospel across the world, Jesus selected apostles who then made disciples and human beings carried that gospel message. God wants to use us. And so like David, we have to give him all our resources. He's worked his will through human beings and he wants us to use the gifts and abilities that he's given us. We also see from this story that we don't need to wear anybody else's armor. We don't need to try to be like anyone else. We can be ourselves. We can use the gifts God has given us. In fact, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 11 that God has given, distributed our gifts as the Spirit wills. So in other words, God wants us to have whatever gifts we possess. And if I start saying, I wish I were more like this person or I wish I were more like that person, I need to stop and remind myself, God has made me just like I am. He's given me the resources and abilities I have. I don't have to wear anyone else's armor when I go into battle. And so I want us to think right now in that spiritual giant in your mind, what are some resources you can use? Maybe there's some talents and abilities you can use to to pour yourself into a specific ministry here. Maybe there are some ways that not only can you get your mind off the the spiritual battle and you can can start to pour yourselves out in service to God that, that might make you feel better, could boost your spirit, you could have the kind of encouragement that's derived from serving God. Maybe there are some physical resources you could use. 
Maybe there are some books in the library. Maybe there are some Bible classes you could be a part of, some support groups you could be a part of that would help you as you fight this spiritual battle. I mean, look around this auditorium at all of the resources right here. And in just a short period of time, we'll have several more sitting in this auditorium, willing hearts, willing ears to listen, to help you fight in your battles. God has blessed us with several resources here. And like David, we need to be willing to use them. We don't have to be like anyone else. We can use our own gifts and abilities, and God will use those as we fight our spiritual battles. So we've got to decide to take action. We've got to maintain our focus. And right now, I'd like for us to think of some resources we could use as we think about the fourth and really the most important step that David shows us. And that is he trusts God. And it's not listed fourth here because it's the least important. In fact, David does that throughout every other step of this battle plan. But it's listed fourth because I want us to consider the importance of truly trusting in God. Did you notice David never tells anyone that he's going to defeat Goliath on his own power, on his own accord? He's always pointing to God. He's always saying, the Lord will give him into my hand. In fact, look at what David says when he actually goes out and meets Goliath. It's very interesting. You can imagine this intimidating figure looking at a shepherd boy who says, beginning in verse 46, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. And look at the purpose for doing this. David's purpose was not to glorify himself, because he says here in verse 46 that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. When I fight spiritual battles, when I tackle spiritual giants, my goal shouldn't be so that everyone will look at me, see the willpower I have, see what I've done in my life. My goal should be that they'll glorify God. And the same is true for all of us. No matter what situation we're in, no matter what battle we're fighting, our goal is not to glorify ourselves, but to glorify God. And David does just that. You see, the power for attacking spiritual giants is not in the plan, it's in the one that we serve. But if we follow these steps... We can allow God to use us just like he used David. Verse 47, he says, Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. The battle belongs to the Lord. David was facing a challenge that physically himself, he could not overcome on his own. He needed God to give him the victory. This morning, we're all facing challenges that we can't handle ourselves. We can't handle on our own. The spiritual giants that we face, if we were left up to our own devices, we would not be able to overcome them. But we have access to power far greater than we can imagine through the Lord our God. And if we allow Him to use us, just like He used David, if we decide, I'm going to take action, I'm tired of this that's plaguing my life, that's hindering my faith, that's stunning my spiritual growth, I'm going to take action, I'm going to maintain my focus on this problem, I don't care how many distractions are around me, I don't care how many people might doubt my motivation or doubt my abilities, I'm going to trust in God, maintain my focus, and then I'm going to decide to use the resources He's given me, the blessings He's given me to fight this battle. Above all, we're going to have to trust in God. An old story that I think illustrates trust so aptly is the story of Jean-Francois Blondin. He's a really interesting figure who was the first tightrope walker that stretched some guide wires and a tightrope over Niagara Falls, and he started to walk across. And he didn't do it just once, he did it several times. And as he walked across, he really liked to entertain the crowd, so he started to do some different things as he walked across. He didn't just walk, he would walk across carrying different objects. At one point, he stopped in the middle and ate an omelet one morning across the tightrope. 
Uh, you see here in this picture that his manager is on his back as he walks across one time, and he was very impressive. One of the most famous stories that came out of his exploits is, has to do with that wheelbarrow that's in the bottom right-hand corner of the screen. You see, he would take across that wheelbarrow, he would wheel it across the tightrope, and, and everyone would be impressed, everyone would cheer. And so he would begin by telling the crowd, do you think that I can walk across with this wheelbarrow? And everybody would cheer, sure you can. And he would walk across, and he would bring it back. And how many of you think I can do it again? And everyone would cheer, and he would do it again. And then he'd come back, and how many of you think that I could do it again? And everyone would cheer. They'd seen him do so much, they thought he could do anything. And then he asked a question that really tested whether or not they believed what they were saying. He said, who will volunteer to get in the wheelbarrow? Can I have any volunteers to sit down inside the wheelbarrow while I wheel it across? You see, that's a true test of faith. That's a true test of whether we really believe what we say. Do we trust God enough to step out in battle against this spiritual giant, something that seems so much larger than us and so much bigger than us, and trust in His power? You see, as we think about faith, we totally have to rely on God. We totally have to trust in God. This morning, it's important for us to consider whether or not we've made that decision to completely put ourselves in God's hands, to let God carry us, to let God use us. And as we think about a challenge that's greater than all of us can ever face, none of us here is perfect. None of us is without sin. And we've faced the challenge of sin and separation from God, and we can't overcome that ourselves. But if we trust in God, if, if we get in the wheelbarrow and, and just put ourselves in His hands and obey Him and decide that once we've heard His message, we're going to turn our lives around. We're going to confess His name. We're going to put Him on in baptism and begin walking that life that trusts in Him. Then He can use us to do great things, not by our own power, but just like David, through His power. This morning, if you want to make a decision to completely trust in God, to submit your will in obedience to Him, to really get in the wheelbarrow and let Him carry you, There's no better time than right now as together.